Father, uh, we do, we do want to remember, Lord, the multitudes over the history of this nation that have, have given that ultimate sacrifice so that we could be a nation, so that we could have the freedoms we have, that we could even gather here today. And we thank you for that. We thank you for those sacrifices. We pray, I think, of just the recent times, families that have lost dads and moms and aunts and uncles, Lord, brothers and sisters, just, Lord, we pray for those families and we just thank you that we have a nation that is at least willing to, uh, to make note of that. And so we do want to spend some time as individuals and as a church thinking about those men and women. And God, as we get into your word, we do pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that as we open this up and, and kind of get into some what I call nitty gritty of, of this thing called Christianity, touch our hearts, God. I pray that you would reveal the things that we need to work on, the things that we need to take care of, the issues that we need to get rid of and, and dealt with, that you would, you would do that today. And it would be a day where we could celebrate, God, the freedom that we have in you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the author of Hebrews, remember, writing to people who, man, they're stuck. They're having a hard time, and it's difficult. He had, we spent months on the chapter about faith and laying all that out. Then the last couple times we've looked at this whole idea that we're in a race. And again, the race isn't against each other, but it's a race. We're in this endurance marathon that we're part of. And in the midst of that, we were also recognizing God disciplines those he loves. It always cracks me up when, when God does something in people's lives, like they always start whining, and I'm thinking, you're just getting a spanking, it's okay. You know, it's all right. God loves you, and he's gonna discipline you. And we talked about parents that love us, discipline us. Parents that don't care, well, they don't. So God does that. Now he's going to shift this whole thing and get us to really think about what's going on and what the church is all about and how we're to act as the body of Christ. I think doctrine's good, and it always cracks me up when people say, I don't believe in doctrine. Everybody believes in doctrine, and everybody has doctrine, some good, some bad, but we all have. Doctrine just means I believe this, this thing, and it's a body of beliefs, and then you have theology that puts those doctrines together that makes some theology, and I think all that's good. I love to study theology. I have volumes of theology in my library that I love to look at, look things up, and check some things out, and then even just argue with a little bit. I, I argue with my books a lot because they don't argue back, and I always win that argument. But listen, I think all of that's good, but the main part of good doctrine and good theology is that it'll change our behavior. We'll get it in our heart and we'll live what we believe. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across here. Listen, a lot of us, I, I would imagine if I asked you to raise your hand, do you believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration of scripture? I believe almost everyone in here would raise their hand. But then the question is, do you submit to that same scripture that you just declared is inerrant and inspired by God? You see, it's one thing to say, I believe that. It's another thing to submit to that. How many of us believe, don't raise your hands, how many of us believe in God is omnipotent, all-powerful? And we say, yeah, I believe that. 
until my life starts falling apart, then we think he can't handle it. So think about those things as we're looking at this this morning, and he's speaking again to some people who are discouraged, disgruntled, kind of thinking about giving up. And I believe a lot of us, hey, we get to those places. We get to places where we're just like, I am so done. And God says, no, you're not. So look at this. He says here in verse 12 is one of those therefore, right? So you have a therefore. He's drawing a conclusion that we're in this race, that we're chastened by God because he loves us. And then he says, therefore, strengthen the hands which uh, hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Now what's interesting, it seems like, it seems like the author here is kind of drawn on some Old Testament some of stuff. In Isaiah 35, you can read the whole chapter for homework, but listen to this part. This is verses three and four. Isaiah says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Doesn't that sound good? And the author here is telling you and I, listen, we're in this race and we need to run this race. And we need to be tough about running this race. Hey, when it gets hard, we need to dig in that extra place. We need to find that extra strength and we need to go. And generally that comes from a brother or sister coming along beside us and grabbing us and saying, don't give up, don't quit. I'm here with you. You see, this thing called Christianity and the fact that we're the body of Christ is supposed to mean something more than just some good theological principle. We're supposed to really care about each other. We're supposed to be concerned about each other. And when I think about being exhausted, I know, I know early on in ministry, especially when I got into ministry, there was a point, man, I was done. I was wanting to quit. And a brother in the Lord came alongside me and he said, you're not gonna quit. I'm not gonna let you quit. And he was there standing with me, kind of even dragging me at some points. You're, I'm not going to let you. Have you ever got physically exhausted where you're, and, and isn't it interesting, he talks, and Isaiah talks about the hands that fall. It's interesting, when you get really tired, what's the first thing that goes down? Your hands. And then your knees get wobbly, right? And you kind of almost feel like you're going you're gonna to pass out or something. When, when I worked for Phelps Dodge, we were, I worked underground some as an electrician, and, and we were kind of opening up an old mine that was now becoming a new mine, and it was a place in Bisbee, and, and the, the cage, the elevator that people talk about, wasn't working all the time. They were just running it part-time. And we were down, and we were only down 300 feet. That's not, that's not very deep when you think about mining. I've been 3,200 feet. So 300 feet were down, and, and we needed something up on, the level, up, 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 up on top. And we didn't want to wait for the cage because I'm so patient. And here's what I'm thinking. It's only 300 feet. Like, how much does it take to climb a 10-foot ladder? Nothing, right? That's what I'm thinking. That's only 30 of those. Surely I could do those. I was young and fit, and I can do this. And I told my partner, I'll just run up and get it. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and away I go. And you know, I mean, the first, the first like 10 ladders, the first 100 feet, you're going, but you're starting to get tired. 
And then you'd do like five more ladders because they were in sets of 10-foot ladders. So you'd go and then kind of switch over and go. And then, man, I get like to 150 and I'm going, this is like harder than I thought it was going to be. And then I hit like 200 and I'm going, I can't turn around and go back because that's just as hard. And I only have, I only have, you know, the, the last set to do. I can do this. And, man, I got to the top and I was like this. <laughs> And your head, and when, every time I read this scripture, I think of that day, man, I was like, oh. Well, sometimes we get that way spiritually. And it just gets tough. And sometimes we jump in thinking, I could do that. And we get in the middle of it, and it starts eating us. Well, then that's when we need one another. Notice he says that we need, listen, strengthen the hands which hang down and the, and the feeble knees. You and I need to come alongside those people. We need to be people who are concerned with one another, caring about one another, and we're doing what this thing called Christianity is about. We're grabbing, and hey, you may have to drag somebody a while. It's okay, drag them. Get them to that place. And, and then even beyond that, listen, and make straight paths in verse 13 for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Again, Proverbs chapter four. In Proverbs chapter four it says this, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left Remove your foot from evil. You and I, listen, what did he start this chapter with? He says, focus on Jesus, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus, and we're running this race that we're talking about, and hey, you want a straight path, you better be looking to him. Don't be looking around. Don't be trying to grab other things. And once again, some of your translations say make it level. That's where you and I can come along and redirect people, right? Have you ever talked to a friend Somebody that you care about that's kind of like looking at other things? And have you ever been caring enough to say, hey, you need to look to Jesus, and you need to focus on Jesus, and you need to not be looking at this and not be looking at that? I can't tell you the amount of times as a newer believer how many mature believers came alongside me and said, get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on Jesus, and start looking at the Bible, right? And that's what he's talking about. And then, and then I love this one part, man. It says somebody's lame. Not lame like lame, but they're crippled lame. Because sometimes we call people lame, right? So listen, man, they're hurting, and you and I are supposed to make a way for them so that their whatever their, their, their pain and they're going through with the, this seems like something that can almost be dislocated. He says, man, aren't we supposed to be people who come along and heal one another? I'm sure a lot of us has heard, right? Christians are the only people who shoot their wounded. It's terrible. We're awful. And we usually chew on somebody. Somebody blows it. Somebody makes a mistake. And the first thing we do is, oh, how dare you? And usually we do that because we're doing that very same thing in secret, and now we want to tell them how bad they are for doing what we just are doing behind the scenes. And we act all that, and we want to get on them. Here's what he's saying. You and I need to grab that person, and we need to help them, and we need to make sure whatever's happening that they don't get out of the race permanently. We need to heal them. Shouldn't this be a safe place Shouldn't we be able to come through those doors and be safe? Shouldn't we be able to come in this place 
and be who we really are and not put on this facade of Christianity. You know, I, we walk in here and someone goes, how are you? I'm fine. Really fine? No, I'm fine. Are you really, really fine? I'm fine. And inside you're dying. Wouldn't it be better to say I'm dying? And I need you? And I need some help? You see, we're not racing against each other. We're racing with each other. And the author of Hebrews is saying, let's get this done. And then, and then, man, this next part, then verse 14, pursue peace with all people. I shared, I think, on, on uh, uh, the last time we were here, maybe it was on a Thursday night just recently. I, I used to, when I first got saved, I didn't like any of the scriptures that talked about making peace. I thought we were in a war. And when I would read about peace, here's what I would think in my head. Yeah, that's just those, for those people who want to compromise. Luckily, I've matured and changed. But do you read what he's saying here? This is so, listen, this is going so against everything in our culture today. In our culture today, we are bitter, we're backbiting, we're fighting, we're coming against each other. Nobody wants to sit down and have a conversation. Nobody wants to say, hey, I disagree with you, but let's just talk about it and let's work through the issues. No, let's, let's villainize the person who doesn't believe what we believe. That's wrong, especially as Christians. Do you read what he says here? This is intense. Pursue peace with people you like, with people you agree with, with all people. You know what all means? This is deep. All means all. Wow. You mean I gotta, yeah, I mean you got, uh, really? Like I don't really wanna do that. I know it goes against who we are, but we are mandated to do that. In Romans, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, a lot of us have memorized that verse. It's interesting how we memorize these verses, but we don't do them. In Romans chapter 12, it says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Once again, all. Hey, you can't control what another person does, but you can surely control what you do. And are you a pursuer of peace or are you one of those antagonists, man, and somebody says something and all of a sudden you're in their face and you're telling them how wicked they are, how horrible they are, what a rotten individual they are? Or are you someone saying, well, you know, that's a really great perspective, but have you ever thought about it this way? And have you ever looked at things this way? And try to have a conversation. We're to do that. And he's calling us, listen, Jesus called us to be peacemakers. Now, there are some people who are really, really, really good at bringing peace to situations. I've had a few people in my life where they could walk in to a, a thing that is escalating and it's gonna blow up and they just walk in and say two words and it goes, and it calms down. I admire those people. I, they're the people who they never get rattled. Like I think you could put a gun at their head and they'd go, well, are you really gonna pull the trigger? Do you think you're really gonna do that? I don't think you're really gonna do that. And they'd just be calm. I'm the person, you put a gun to my head, I'm gonna freak out. So they're just, and, and you have those people, and listen, I know we're not all those people, but are you somebody who you're consciously, and here's my prayer, that we would consciously, especially in 
2021 in the United States of America, in the midst of everything that's going on, that we would be people that we are determined we're going to be at peace and we're going to pursue peace with everyone. Whether they agree with us or not, we're going to pursue the avenue of peace. What, what would that do to our world? Just our world, not the world, our world. Do you know, man, your heart rate will go down, your blood pressure will go down, you'll have a smile on your face, you won't be this person. And then he says the next part that's even a little bit harder, pursue peace with all people in the middle of verse 14, and holiness. Oh, Oh, I thought holiness was just for the Puritans. I thought it was just those guys way back. You mean, you mean as Christians we're supposed to be holy? I didn't know we were supposed to be holy. I thought we were just like joining this club that we were all gonna have fun, sing songs. And really we have to, yeah, you have to pursue holiness. Now I think some of us have a misconception of that. Holiness is not like putting on a robe and sandals and walking around like this and having a halo on. Holiness is, bottom line, the bottom definition we looked at Thursday night is uniqueness. We're supposed to be unique in this world. We're supposed to be separated is another way of putting it. Separated unto God. And you and I need to seek ways so people know that I belong to God. Do people know that you belong to God? Do people know that you want to walk with Jesus? Again, you know, in our, in our day and age and everybody's getting ink, I always think it would be good if, if, like when we got saved, if it just like ink across our head, Jesus. And people would know, right? We're branded for life and we're doing that. And, and so I want us to think about how much time and effort do you put into living for Jesus? and ordering your life so that it will reflect Jesus to others. Because that's what holiness is all about. I wanna be that person. I wanna be like that. And, and, and the author here is like pushing us in a direction that I think a lot of us, we're a little bit fearful about. The whole idea is like, oh, I don't know, Pat. I would rather live for myself. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to Esau, and that's not so pretty. But you and I, we need to pursue peace and holiness. And we need to take that serious. We need to, in 2021, we need to say, yes, I'm going to do that. That is something. I'm gonna will that in my life. I'm going to begin to think that way. Not self-righteousness. Listen, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to go out of here thinking, I gotta get all self-righteous. No. See, true holiness is just going to reflect Jesus. It's not gonna, you're not gonna have to tell people how righteous you are. I think sometimes people read this and they think, well, if I pursue holiness and I can't play cards and you know, blah, 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 and you put all these restrictions. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a life that's dedicated to the Lord. Years ago when we had our, our, our pottery business and we'd gotten saved, and at that time, uh, Melody Green, this was back in the 80s. Melody Green had started a, a whole uh, movement, Americans Against Abortion. I don't know how many of you kind of remember that time frame. And, and there was a petition that she was determined to get, I think, two million signatures, you know, to the government to let them know we're against abortion. And so, you know, we joined in and we always had on our, on our counter where people would check out, we would have that petition and you could sign it or not. And I never forget this, one elderly gentleman came in and, you know, quote, an older guy, and 
And he read it and signed it, and then he looked at me, and, and here's what he said to me. Are you a possessor? Now, in Bisbee, that could mean some strange stuff, right? And I'm going, I'm not sure what you mean. And I love it, man. Then he said this, do you possess him? Oh, oh. And I had a conversation with that elderly gentleman, and listen, he was one who pursued holiness, and he was the one who reflected it. Don't you want to be that person? Hey, and here's what was great. There was nothing forceful. There was just him, just here's what's up, and here's my life, and just sharing that. And then he says this, and don't get this wrong. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Here's the problem with this verse, is some people read that part and they think, I've gotta work this holiness in my life so I can see the Lord. I don't believe that's what the author's saying. Number one, I don't believe it because why? I'm saved by grace, not by holiness. I'm gonna see Jesus because I'm saved. Being saved by Jesus automatically, check this out, this is crazy. Because Jesus saved me, that makes me holy because he's in me. But listen to what he's saying. He's saying, and so in some ways, yeah, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you don't get born again, you're not gonna see the Lord, that part. But that's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You and I have a responsibility to this generation and this culture and where we live to reflect Jesus to them because without holiness, they're not gonna see the Lord. Are you picking up what he's saying? If we are not men and women who are reflecting Jesus to the world, how are they gonna see him? We're it. Do you know that God has chosen us? How does this freak you out? God has chosen us, chosen, chosen us, to reflect him to the world. No one else, it's us. Now some people go, whoo, that's kind of intense. I look at it and go, whoo, let's go. Let's go reflect Jesus to the world. Because if we're not pursuing peace and we're not pursuing holiness, then no one is going to see the Lord. Think about that in the modern church in America of what's going on in some of the churches and what's happening and some of the theology they're coming up with. People are not going to see Jesus through that theology. They're going to get excited. They're going to feel like a move, but is it going to be Jesus? And he says, hey, this is what we need to do. Now, listen, now he's going to shift. So he's told us three things we need to do. Number one, we need to strengthen each other, right? We need to come alongside, we need to pick up those arms that are hanging down, strengthen those weak knees. Number two, we need to pe people, we're making a straight path and going with a straight path and going that way and helping others and making sure their leg doesn't get dislocated along the way. And then number three, we're supposed to pursue peace and holiness. Now, now he's gonna say, those are some directions you need to go. Those are some things you need to think of. You might even make a little checklist that are, am I doing those things today? Now, he's gonna tell us some things we need to avoid and the very first one listen he says he says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord in verse 15 looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God wow he tells us we need to pursue holiness and then he says we need to look carefully we need to be observing carefully and it's interesting that word for look is like you're intently examining something and we need to do that why so that no one will fall short of the grace of God. Once again, he's not talking about salvation. 
He's talking about you and I, again, reflecting Jesus to others and the fact that you and I, we need to walk in a way that we don't fall short of the grace of God, that we're looking intently in what we're doing. And the more I realize that God has made me holy, the more that makes me want to live holy. The more I realize what he's done in my life, the more I want to reflect him to this world. And he says, you look carefully, you carefully examine that so that no one fall short of the grace of God. I don't wanna be responsible for anybody almost coming to Jesus. I wanna be that person that God uses to bring them, introduce them to Jesus. And I think we should all be doing that. I think if we were, you know, a little bit more faithful that way, and again, I'm not telling everybody to be evangelists. We talked about that, I think, Thursday night. I'm telling them we all need to reflect Jesus to other people and change the world. So he says, listen, first of all, make sure you don't get into a graceless life. Make sure that happens. It's not that God's grace isn't available. It's that some people do not make, uh, make, uh, take advantage of that and grab a hold of that grace. So make sure you don't have a graceless life. And then he says this, and lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble by this many become defiled. Oh, there's that whole thing about bitterness. And I think Paul in Romans or Galatians or Ephesians writes about bitterness in a different way. Don't let a root of bitterness grow. Talking about unforgiveness. But here, I believe what he's talking about here, there's a bitterness that can happen because of circumstances, maybe in a church, Right now, we're watching a big thing. If you're paying attention to the world, and I'm talking about mostly the Christian world, but it's really the world that's invaded the church. And if you're paying a lot of attention, there's a lot of stuff going on that's really, to me, frightening. There are people claiming Christ, but it's a different Christ. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And they're doing this whole deconstruction thing. That's a big buzzword now. And they're deconstructing. And the thing is, something has happened to them. Every one of their testimonies you begin to listen to, something happened to them in the church, and they let that bitterness come. And that bitterness starts growing in them. And then they, it says they'll defile many. And I'm seeing that happen, man. I'm seeing person after person after person coming along saying, I like what they're saying and I was hurt in the church and I'm gonna go along with them and I'm gonna redefine things and I'm gonna make a Jesus that I can live with and that will satisfy my needs and I will you know, make me a little tailor-made Jesus, my, my designer Jesus that I can fit in my pocketbook and he'll be fine. Don't let that bitterness in the church in the fellowship here, I'm looking around, looking at all of us. If you go out those doors and somebody starts saying something about the church, you need to do this. Nah, 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 I'm not listening to you. I don't want that bitterness. Don't get all, you know, here's what you can tell them. Don't get me all dirty. A few weeks ago, I talked about don't pee in people's swimming pools. I know that's a gross illustration. Some of you are going, man, that is intense, Pat. Well, don't do that. You don't do that, do you, as an adult? Some of you are looking at me like, come on. And that's what I think about when people start getting me all their stuff on me. I'm going, I don't need your stuff on me. Man, listen, if you're bitter, you're angry, you just go, go, go take care of it. Don't get it all over me. And generally, we share with people who are going to agree with us, and we make them bitter, and it makes somebody else bitter, and it makes somebody else bitter. And then pretty soon, you have this new church called whatever. 
He's saying guard against that. Don't become graceless and don't become bitter. Don't be that person. He says, he says, because when that springs up, listen, and I've seen it over and over, it defiles many. And it hits the hearts of many. And as a pastor, often you spend time cleaning up that mess and fixing that mess. And if the first person that was bitter would have just come to a pastor or a leader and got those things taken care of. But it's better to go, I'm sorry if I'm talking about you, but and you're doing it in a parking lot where you're doing no good. You're just peeing in people's pools. It's all you're doing. Next time you do that, I hope that comes to your mind. And you go, I need to stop. So then he says this, I'm in serious trouble. We need to eliminate that part on the recording, but... Listen, he says, lest the root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this uh, many become defiled. Lest, now listen, he's, he's finally getting to the crux of this. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Wow! Esau? Like, I mean, he kind of he brings Esau, and I'm thinking, that is intense. Did you hear what he just called Esau? Like, how would you like to go down in all of history as a fornicator and profane person? I want to be the saint. No, you could be like Esau, the profane, the, the, the fornicator and profane person. Now, if you're not familiar for homework, read, I was going to say, read Esau. Read Genesis. I was going to say, read Esau 25 through 27. But you might check out Genesis 25 through 27 and kind of get, if you're, if you're not familiar with it, please go home and for Memorial Day weekend, read that. But Esau, most of us know the story, and I don't want to do a long story about Esau, but, but man, listen to what he says. He calls him a fornicator. I got to be honest, I've read Genesis 25 through 27 a couple times. I don't ever remember any sexual immorality by Esau. I remember a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of things, but no sexual stuff. Why does the author of Hebrews, who, the Holy Spirit, right, inspired him, why does he call him a fornicator? Because he was. You see, he was cheating on God. He was cheating in his heart on God. And Esau was all about pleasure. Study him. Esau lived for the present. He was all about the present. And in all of his, you know, his brother, like not a really great guy, right? I mean, he's not the guy that we all go to, man, I want to be like Jacob. His brother was a piece of work. He was a conniver, a cheat, right? And he got out-connived by his father-in-law. Great stuff there. Hey, just, you know what? Read 25 to the end of Genesis for homework because I don't want you to just stop there. But listen, man, the one thing his brother did different than Esau is his brother lived for eternity. Even with all the junk he did, he had his eyes on eternity. Esau had his eyes on the present. And here's how the Lord looks at it. When we live just for the present and only for the present, then we're looking for pleasure, whether that pleasure be sexual, whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual, whatever. We're trying to please ourselves and bring all that pleasure. Hence, you become a fornicator. Again, not always in just in a sexual sense. You're a fornicator because you're living for pleasure. And that was Esau. That's all he lived for. And then he was also profane, which most of us get that, right? He, hey, in an instant, he sold his birthright, man. He was just like, it's done. 
I don't care, man. I want some, I want some lentil soup. Of all the things to sell yourself down the, down the toilet for, lentil stew? Like maybe a big old ribeye maybe or something, but really? I'm thinking every time I read that, I think, really, dude? Like, man, you are really, really, you are really living for yourself if you're doing that. So listen, man, he did that, and it says, it says here, right, a fornicator, profane person like Esau, who for one morsel sold his birthright. Oh, man. Whenever I read that story, I always, I always want it to change. I always want like Esau to come through at the last minute. No, I'm not gonna do that. And then, but we know the story, but listen what it says, because after he does that, then they do some more stuff, then Jacob, you know, uh, does his crafty little thing and, and smells like Esau, and you can get into that whole story. And verse 17 says this, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. There are decisions you make in your life that can never be unmade. And we need to know that. That's the reality of life. You will make certain decisions that you can't unmake later on. You may wish you could, but you can't. And that's a fact of life. Some of us that are more mature have a little bit, you know, grayer hair. We're kind of understanding that more. Wish we would have understood that when we were younger. But that's a fact. And then there are consequences for those decisions that we make that sometimes it seems even God is not going to take away those consequences. That's what happened to Esau. And he says, listen, he could not unravel that. He could not undo that. It was done. And he went to his dad and he says, wait. I need something. And his dad couldn't even say, God bless you, my son. He goes, nope, it's done. Everything went to Jacob. Well, can't I just get, nope. And then it says, listen, here's the interesting thing. It says here that, that he, was, he was rejected and he found no place for repentance. I think we can interpret this two ways. I think we can interpret it that, number one, Esau was never sorry because he did something. He was sorry that what he did affected his life later on and he couldn't get what he wanted. True repentance is, I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I offended a holy God. I'm sorry that I sold my birthright. I'm sorry that that reflected on God. That's true. So when it says he, he couldn't repent, it's kind of that way, but I think it's more than that. Here's what I think it is. His dad couldn't repent. Right? He wanted his dad to change his mind. And he sought that with tears, and his dad couldn't repent. You get what I'm talking about? His dad could not change that. It was a done deal. It's finished. And you and I need to realize that. So listen, man, we do this whole study. I can't end on that. I want, you know, I, I'm done. This is all I'm going. But I don't want us going home going, bummer, Pat. So I want to back back up, and I want to talk about some of us may be close to that place where Esau's at. And some of us may know some of us are in that place. I want you to grab that person. I want you to strengthen them. I want you to come alongside them. I want you to hurt with them as they're hurting. I want you to weep with them if they're weeping. And I want you to be that person that you can 
be understanding to them and not be judgmental to them, not be that person that you're gonna wag your finger and act like you're holier than they are. I want you to put your arms around them and I want you to tell them, I got you. We're gonna run this race. I know you wanna quit. I know you wanna give up, but I am not going to let you give up. I'm here. If I have to, man, I'll pick you up and carry you, but we're going to finish this together. That's the church. So let's make those decisions. It's kind of, listen, you kind of got a will to do those things. That's not gonna come naturally. Your natural reaction is gonna be, I don't want to get near that because it's gonna mess me up. Yeah, it's gonna mess you up. It's gonna take some of your time. It's gonna take some of your energy. It's gonna take some of your effort. But isn't a brother or sister in the Lord worth it? Let's do this. Let's strengthen those arms that are hanging down, those feeble knees. Let's straighten out those paths. Let's be people who we're pursuing peace with everyone, everyone. And if they don't want to have peace, that's on them, right? That's their problem. I'm pursuing it. And let's do that. And here's what's going to happen. Our world is going to change. I'm not saying the whole world. I would like to say that. But our world, where we live, it's going to change. Your perspective's going to change. Let's all stand up and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time as we look at this section here. And, and Lord, it is, a, it is a tough section. There's tough things to hear, period, that we have to deal with. And then, Lord, there's also, there's some tough things to try and figure out. And God, I pray that we, we got a good, comprehensive view of what's going on. But mostly, I want us to be men and women who we truly are the church Someone last night said something about being a genuine Christian. Lord, I'm praying that we would be the real deal. We would be the genuine Christian, not the people who just come to church, not the person who just is here and taking up a chair and then going home and nothing's, we're genuine. We're walking with you and reflecting you. And so, Lord, if we need to repent from some stuff, give us that gift of repentance right now. Work in our hearts. And I'm gonna ask everyone to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And you know what? If you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, today is the day to change that. And hey, you may be a person that you've been playing at church for years. You've been showing up, but you're not that genuine Christian. You're not that born again. And you know it. And right now, God is even speaking to your heart. Hey, you wanna make that different? Then you call on his name and you will be saved. And I don't care if you've been coming here 10 minutes or, or 10 years. If God is speaking to you right now, right now is the time to make that change in your heart and to call on him. And here it is. It's just simple. Listen, Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. So that means, number one, you've got to admit you're a sinner. Number two, you've got to be sorry for your sin. Number three, you've got to realize that your sin... The wages that you earn, what you earned from sinning was separation from God. That's all the bad news. The good news, Jesus paid the price. And you have an opportunity today to accept that payment. So if you want to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And hey, if you're backslidden today, come home. Come back to Jesus. Today is the day for you to come back. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer with us right in your home. You don't have to be here. You can say it with us where you're at, and God will hear you. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. 
I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.